Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are excited and honored that you are joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking with one of our uh, our students who's gone through a couple of our different programs, talk about her speaking journey. Before we get there, if you haven't checked out our free speaker fee calculator, make sure you stop by and check that out. You can find it over at myspeakerfee.com. Again, that is myspeakerfee.com. We have people who ask all the time, what should I charge as a speaker? Well, to be honest with you, it depends. There's a lot of variables they go into it. And the the answer that it depends is not the best answer, I'll, I'll admit. So uh, we put together a, a free tool, free calculator where you can answer a couple questions and it gives you a kind of a, a range of, of what you should be charging as a speaker. So again, totally free. Go check it out over at myspeakerfee.com. All right. So today we're going to be talking with Kendra Dahlstrom, who, uh, again, like I mentioned, has gone through a couple of our programs in the past year, year and a half. We're going to talk about her speaking journey, how she gained traction early on, how especially how she balanced work and home life while having a successful corporate job and building her speaking business. We talk about how she added in consulting and coaching to her work. We talk about how she recently transitioned to quit her job. And let's talk about how she made that transition. We also talk about some of the iterations and transitions that she's made over time as she's tried to figure out her lane and figure out what makes the most sense for her in building and growing her speaking business. So a lot to get to today. I know sometimes it's fun to hear from speakers who have been at it for decades and have years and years of experience, but I also like sharing the stories of people who are just getting started, who are maybe a, where you are, or maybe a step or two ahead of where you are, and learning from them, learning what's working for them to get the ball rolling in this current day and age. So a lot of good stuff from Kendra. So uh, let's get right into it. Here's our conversation with Miss Kendra Dahlstrom. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here today, joined by Miss Kendra Dahlstrom, who had uh, has joined one of our programs, what, like a year and a half ago or so, and actually recently left her corporate job and has had a lot of success as a speaker, as a coach, as a consultant, has a new course coming out too. Like you have no shortage of things to do. And she has a new puppy she just told me about. So that's uh, that's <laughs> exciting. Like, I mean, that's, that's probably the most exciting part, right? Exactly. Right. Keep me on my toes. For sure. So Kendra, <laughs> first of all, thanks for taking the time to, uh, to chat with us. Why don't you give us a quick snapshot on your business and then we'll kind of dig into the, uh, the evolution of, of how you got to this point. Right. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here, Grant. As a mentor of mine, this is just a huge pleasure. What I really do now is I focus with faith-based women. So I help faith-based women really discover their calling. And these are largely women who are in the corporate space who are feeling unfulfilled. They have always felt like their career is their calling mm -hmm. and they are just yearning for something more. And they're not sure like, is this something I would do on the side? Is this something that I can just quit and, you know, start a whole new thing. Mm -hmm. And so I really help them sort of discover what that is 
And then what I call is to live into it. So really live into live into sort of accepting that that is their calling. And what does that look like, that transformational process? So that's where my coaching comes in. And then we go through the business strategy piece at the end. So it's sort of a three-pronged approach. And that business strategy is all about how to transform it into a six-figure business. Cool. I dig it. And I want to talk more about that what that looks like. Let's take a step back for a second. So if we go back, let's say two years or so, had you been doing any speaking or so when when we crossed paths initially? Not really, Grant. I had done a few sales conferences in my corporate job, you know, for to anyone from 400 to maybe a few thousand people, but it was all very dry PowerPoint scripted, you know, high tech corporate speeds and feeds. So not it was very out of my comfort zone to to go into your program and learn how to do it in a new way. And at the time, what kind of corporate work were you doing? Like what industry were you in? What was your role? I was a, a director. I was director of marketing and product management for the services. So any of the consulting or basically break fix services that would go in and work on the back end of any sort of hardware or software. Okay. So very high tech. Yeah. All right, cool. So you'd been doing that for a little while. You've done a few speaking gigs. At what point though, did you decide like, I want to do more speaking. Like I, I enjoy it. It's a fun thing. Like where yeah. did that transition start to take place? Cause I think that's where a lot of people are like, I've done a few things. Maybe it's for work. Maybe it's personally, maybe it's, you know, I spoke at a friend's thing or I taught a Sunday school class or I spoke at some work meeting and like, this is kind of fun. I got good feedback. I want to do more of it. So at what point does it go from, this is kind of fun to, I'd like to do more of this. And I'd like to be even better to get paid to do it. Like what was that journey like for you? Right. So there were two moments that I remember as real distinct moments. So the first was when, oh, like I said, you know, what I work on with people and my clients are is similar to my story, right? So I always had this yearning and calling to do more and to get a message out. And I just didn't know the best way to do that. And so I actually was reading Tim Tebow's book, Shaken. And as I'm reading the book, one of the chapters is about really creating a legacy and making it about serving others and helping others. And Literally, I got the chills. I think it was 1030 at night. And I literally had to stand up in bed because I got so pumped by this book. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is what I need to be doing. I need to be sharing my message with the world. And the best way to do this is speak because I can it can be a one to many. Mm -hmm. And so it just sort of came to me. And then literally within 24 hours, I found one of your podcasts. And so that second distinct moment was I believe it was the first podcast I listened to of yours was with you and Donald Miller. And he was going into brand and brand story. And it just resonated with me because I was thinking, what's my story? I know I've had this yearning, but what's my story? And then I just kept listening to your podcast and I was addicted to them. I was like binge listening to them. And I thought, I need to sign up for this program. This is just something that I could feel in my bones. It was an amazing investment opportunity, you know, at a really reasonable price. And from that point forward, as soon as I started listening, you know, and joining into Book Jim Page to Speak, I just knew that step by step, the way that it was all laid out for me, that this was the direction I needed to take. And so it just made sense to me that this was a great way to get a really important message out or story out. Cool. So you go from, all right, I'm interested in speaking and all right, here's my next step. I'm going to take this. And I remember for you, like early on, there was some challenge of just getting clear on Mm -hmm. who you were going to speak to, what you were going to speak about. And this is a part that's tough for everybody is is going like, well, I have all these things that I could speak about and all these audiences I could be a fit for and all these things I am Mm -hmm. interested in. And so how do I narrow that down? So what was that process like for you of going like, I know I want to speak and I've taken my next step and now I got to start to figure out, I got to make some tough decisions 
questions and start to figure out who I should speak to, what I should speak about. Like, what was that process like for you then? It was insightful and painful. I'll be honest. I really resisted it. And I actually, I, I think I even changed my niche has, you know, evolved. I want to say three or four times Mm -hmm. and I'll be fully transparent in the last year and a half. And a lot of that was largely because I wasn't being honest with myself about who I am, what my story is. And I hadn't done some of that deeper work yet, Grant, that I think for me, I found was critical to work with a coach and do some of that deeper work to really figure out, you know, where can I add value? What do I have hangups on these stories I'm telling myself that may be negative that aren't serving me and, and how I can really contribute to the world. And, and, and so that was kind of unfortunately impacting my ability to say, no, I can absolutely go into this niche and I can kill it and I can do an amazing job and I have so much to offer. And so I was really resisting that process. And so for each person, it's going to be very different. I felt like I was really clear on who I was and I, it was a blind spot for me. I didn't realize that I really wasn't, I wasn't feeling very confident in sort of, you know, who I am and what audience I serve. I felt like I was eliminating a whole group of people by not being more open. And what it turned out to be is that I'm a recovering people pleaser. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense, right? It's like, well, gosh, I don't want to niche because I don't want to, you know, people yeah. to think I'm not going to help them. <laughs> so because so. early on, like you were speaking at several different events. And I remember you were getting booked right. at several different events and you had some good traction yeah. and good wins early yeah. on. So with each of those events, were you finding like, okay, I'm getting closer, but I still don't feel like I'm quite there. Yeah. Or what were like, what were you thinking mentally or emotionally going through that? Definitely that thing. Thank you for bringing that up. That's absolutely what I started to feel. So I actually got engagements really quick and I was mainly speaking on leadership and it was to women's audiences. And then there were a few that were, you know, um, women and men, but most of it was women's audiences. And it felt like it was such an important topic for each of us to take leadership in our seriously in our own life and, and see ourselves as leaders and nurture that. And then we can start to lead those outside of us. However, it just still wasn't hitting the spot for me. I just didn't feel like it was my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. It wasn't filling me up the way that I had envisioned when I was hearing your podcast and going through the program. And mm-hmm. I was just getting, you know, the tingles and you're just like, yes, I'm so pumped to do this. It wasn't doing that for me. So I, that's how I kind of knew I took it as a sign that I still hadn't found that spot, that sweet spot yet. And so I just kept trying. And of course, I kept speaking and fulfilling my obligations and giving the meeting planners the best event that I could because I wanted to be in integrity. However, I just knew that my message and my story hadn't quite yet been refined. So how do you not get discouraged during that? Because you, here's what I think I'm supposed to be speaking on. Here's what I feel like. Here's the path I'm going. And I do a couple of events in that vein. And I just, I don't feel like this isn't it. Like I like speaking, but this isn't, this isn't it. And that's frustrating and discouraging. Mm -hmm. And I want to like, I want to feel confident in where I'm going. And I've, I've found the path for me and I feel like I'm getting closer, but I'm not quite there. Like, like, how do you keep from getting discouraged or are you getting discouraged? How do you keep from giving up or just being like, screw it? This isn't worth Mm -hmm. it. Like, what are you thinking then? So I absolutely did feel discouraged. And so that's where two tools, you know, sort of mental tricks that I do that came into play. One was to realize that my leadership talk was where I had been and that I was evolving so quickly. I was going somewhere else and that I was confident in that topic and that I could help and serve people because I had been there. Yeah. It's just that I was evolving so quickly. It's almost like I couldn't keep up with my progress. So I just sort of almost, if you almost view it like a map, right, with a line going up, 
I was, you know, going, you know, in the third quadrant and I was speaking on a topic that, you know, was in the first or second. So I had already been there. And so I just sort of would tell myself, listen, you've been there, you know this, you can deliver great value, you're confident, it's just you're, you're going somewhere else, yeah. right? right? The second tool that I used was to realize that it was about them. It's never about me. Mm-hmm. So as long as I could serve the people in the audience, and the meeting planner, if I'm giving them what they want, then I know I'm doing a good job. And so it helps keep me rooted and grounded and confident in that. And who cares if they know that I want to start, let's say I was starting a side business, you know, they don't care about that. I'm there for what they paid me for. What did you do early on just to get gigs? Because I know that's a big challenge for a lot of people is Mm -hmm. like, I made the decision, I want to be a speaker, here's what I think I want to speak on and who I want to speak to. And then comes the challenge of like actually booking a gig. So especially like in your case, where you're, you're still working a full time corporate job. What was the process like for you to find and then actually book gigs early on? So I used your process. I mean, it is a labor intensive process initially to sort of find those events find what resonates with you, where you want to be speaking, the mm-hmm. spreadsheet process that you, you know, that you share with us. Yeah. And I remember actually listening to a podcast with you and Melanie, where she was talking about her, when she, you know, her career and when she first started that she took the time and effort to really go through that process. And there's no shortcuts. And I just remembered hearing that in my head. And I said, okay, you got to put time in on the front end if you want things to float on the back end. So mm-hmm. I put time into that and I just spent tons of time building rapport. I mean, I felt like my rapport skills are largely what got me a lot of gigs. I would send emails to some people, but sometimes I just pick up the phone and try to call them. And I had a few meeting planners actually tell me, oh my gosh, yes, I'm busy, but nobody ever does that anymore. Everyone emails. So it's kind of nice just to connect with somebody, (laughs) you know? So you kind of got to just follow your gut with the process, but I will tell you, there's no shortcuts to the spreadsheet and doing your research. If you can come up with a list of 20 is a good start, but if you can get a hundred events that you sort of have your site set on, you know, maybe five of them are stretch events. Like, Oh, I'd love to really be there, but I don't know if I'm quite at that level of the speakers they're hiring yet. Yeah, It's good to keep those on there. And I believe you had given me that advice, which was really sage. And I always had something to stretch for, but you know, the other 70 five or so, or, you know, 80 were just events that I knew that I could pretty much get landed at. And then you just start building rapport. And some of them were paid. Some of them weren't, I will say 95% of mine were paid. The other ones were just great opportunities, putting me in front of, in front of a perfect audience. It was going to take minimal cost for me to get there. You know, I knew I'd get clients out of it. So how did you know how much to charge early on? Well, I used your process and, and then I really just kind of went with my gut, depending on what I thought, if I could do research on other speakers they had hired in the past, yeah. some of them don't have their speaking fees on their sites, but some of them do. And I just started asking for $5,000. <laughs> I said, why not? You know, the worst case scenario, they negotiate me down. And so, you know, I actually will share that I did get one of my bigger speaking engagements that was at a national convention in Washington, D.C. through a submit for proposal. So a lot of people say, oh my gosh, don't spend time on that. But I had told people that I think it's worth at least doing one or two searches and just sort of eyeball and, you know, fill out a few that resonate with you. Mm -hmm. And out of 90 people, they narrowed it down to five of us and they chose three of us. And I was one of the three. And I was coming from speaking at a few local women's events and a corporate background. 
So it's yeah. possible. Yeah. So uh, while you're doing all of that, because what you just described there, you said it, it takes a lot of time. It can be... Mm-hmm. It can feel discouraging at times, wondering if you're making mm-hmm. progress. The sales cycle for booking gigs can take time, right? Because it's not mm-hmm. it's typically not one person making a decision right now to do it. It's, it may take a couple of weeks or a committee or just a, a long planning period. You're trying to do all of this while working full time, while being a mom, mm-hmm. while being a wife. Like, How are you balancing and managing all of that? So what I did is I, I knew I wouldn't be able to do the spreadsheet all in one day or I'd be overwhelmed. So my goal was that if I could find five to 10 events a week and write them and put them in the spreadsheet. Then that, and so it took me several weeks to build a spreadsheet. Right. But I knew that if I could do five to 10 a week and then do some outreach on those and just sort of slowly grow the list, then at least I was making progress while I was researching for me, where I would get discouraged is when you get caught in research and you feel like you're making no progress. Right. Right. But how are you like at the same time though you have like, kids who want to see you right. and right. a husband who wants to hang out with you. And like, you still have like a corporate responsibility. So like all right. of a sudden, like you have a lot of plates that are spinning and a lot of responsibilities. So what's keeping you from being like, this speaking thing's cool, but I got all these other things that are pressing on my time and I have to make money today and the corporate and this, I'm getting a paycheck, so I can't neglect that and I can't neglect my family. So how are you, right. like, how are you managing all of these things that are happening? So first of all, I did time blocking, right? So I would say every for three days a week at lunch hour, I would spend time because I, I had the benefit of working from home, but I understand most people don't have that corporate situation. However, this is something you could still do at lunch. During lunchtime, I would just, you know, bring food and I would sit and do the spreadsheet yeah. and I'd work on the spreadsheet during my lunch hour. I'd wake up at 530 in the morning, you know, and a half an hour earlier to get a few things a half an hour to an hour earlier to get things done a few days a week. And so, and then maybe sometimes it's like, okay, my family and I agreed that, you know, I'd wake up early on Saturdays or Sundays before we're up and breakfast or go to church and spend some time then. So it does take commitment. However, at the same time, we all have the same number of hours in the day and it's just a matter of prioritizing that time. And I find that nine to five jobs oftentimes you know, you're really only doing solid work probably four to six hours out of each of those eight anyway. Yep. So if you can take away some of that social time or eating out time, you can easily find time to be doing this work. In terms of the second part of your question on the overwhelm and the discouragement, I knew going in that this was going to be a long game. Yeah. You know, I of course wanted to have stuff happening within six months. And yeah, I got some, or sorry, free gigs within the first three months. And I highly recommend people looking to get those initially because it just gives you that confidence and momentum that you need to kind of get you to that six month mark where you can actually start to really, you know, reach out and get some paid gigs. You know, just the overall overwhelm. I just had to keep it in perspective that look, I have a year to do this. And I remember you saying that when, you know, in the program, you said people can get paid a lot sooner. People can take a year, but you know, you give people a whole year or you offer that awesome guarantee or, you know, rebate, right. That you, that Mm -hmm. you had promoted. So I always remembered you saying that and I thought, okay, well, he knows a lot about this business. He obviously knows and feels confident that within one year I can do this. So give myself some grace. Yeah. 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 I think Mm -hmm. that just having like that realistic perspective, Mm -hmm. like really seemed like it made a big difference for you and that you knew like this Mm -hmm. is going to be work and this is going to, but this is also going to take time. And so it's Mm -hmm. not going to be a I worked for for a week and I didn't book a gig, you know, like, yeah, right. probably not going to work like right. that, you know, and it's just, well, it's just I mean, not the way it works. 
Right. And you as a mentor, you've been doing it for years. And then you have people on your program who've been doing it for years. I mean, look at people like Michael and Amy Port who have, you know, this acting background have been doing it for years. So it's just like, there's not a lot of people out there that just like decide that they want to speak. They've never done it before. And within three months, they're making, you know, five to 10 K a a gig. Right. So I'm curious (laughs) as you were, you're, you're starting to book some gigs, you're starting to gain some traction there, but you're also then starting to add in things like consulting and things like coaching Mm -hmm. and have a course Mm -hmm. coming out. Can you walk us through like, how did you decide which other pieces to add? And as you're adding pieces, how do you make sure that again, you're not, that's one more thing. So how are you making sure that you're not spreading yourself even more thin with those additional pieces? Thank, yeah, that's a great question. And one thing I love about the speaking business is it is so fluid. And yeah. and so what I mean by that is, you know, initially my model was to speak 80 to 90% and maybe do 10% consulting on the back end yep. because I had traditionally done consulting in the corporate world. And so that was very comfortable for me. Yeah. And so I, I can do business strategy consulting hands down. So I thought, well, I've done leadership consulting. Why not just add that in? So that was initially my model. I spoke at 18, I did 18 gigs within the first six months. And I realized that with a, at the time, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, it was a little more than I wanted. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit more labor intensive. Some of the meeting planners can be a little bit more time consuming than others and, and, you know, certain events and whatnot. So what I love about the speaking model for those of you out there considering it is that you can completely control how much or how little you want to speak. And so what I did is I flipped it. I said, you know, I want to do 80% consulting, 20% speaking. Yeah, That's going to work better for my lifestyle. And then as I started looking at the consulting, because people saw me speaking at events, they came to me and say, will you coach me? And I'd never really thought of myself as a coach. I thought, I don't know that I'm qualified to coach. I don't know if I can do this. And then as I really started to look at myself and then hired a coach to work with, you know, on myself, I realized that I'd been coaching for a lot longer than I thought the way in which I led in corporate and organizations was very much synonymous with coaching and not just your typical hierarchical management. And so I had to give myself a little latitude there. And so I took in clients and I just fell in love with the one-on-one and the group coaching. And then my model has just remained that ever since. Yeah, I think that's such so, a great point that that there's no right or wrong way to do speaking, you know. So so mm-hmm. for some people they want to do 50, 75, 100 gigs a year and that's that's mm-hmm. the end goal. And for some people they're like I just I'd love to do 5 or 10 and mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. it. And that's fine. Like there's not one that's better or worse than the other. It's just kind of sounds like for you, here's what I thought I wanted, got into it and here's I found a happy medium of this is actually what makes more sense for me, for my lifestyle, for my family, for for the business that I'm trying to do. So it sounds like today that speaking is definitely a key part of your business, but it sounds like mm-hmm. it's a lot of like you speak primarily for like lead gen for some of the coaching, consulting, building your audience yes. side of the business. Is that fair? Yes. Yep, it's fair. And I do still get paid for it. However, where I've noticed that I personally is my sweet spot is tends to be more seminars and workshops. Okay. Initially I was kind of going for the keynote Mm -hmm. and yes, I've done those and I will still consider doing those. However, I feel what is disturbs people the best given my content and then given how it parlays into my offers and you know, my extended business around my coaching, people will just get so much more out of it. And I enjoy doing more of, the seminar workshop type stuff where I can actually give a lot more value and kind of walk people through things. And so that's sort of been all part of this learning process. And I just realized I can't be too hard on myself as a classic perfectionist. I wanted to get it perfect out of the gate grant. And I realized, and and largely through a lot of your mentorship and, and, 
stuff you've taught us that it's just not going to be that way that it's okay to try things and just yeah. kind of learn. Yeah. I think that's a great overarching point that you, you've made throughout here is you've made a lot of iterations and you're just kind mm -hmm. of, here's what I know at this moment. And I'm going to start mm -hmm. with that. And then I'm going to adjust and pivot accordingly, you know, and it's kind of, mm -hmm. I always think of it like riding a bike. It's really hard to change course while you're just sitting still on a bike, you mm -hmm. fall over. But if you're in motion, it's a lot easier to turn and course correct and go this direction or that direction. And so it sounds like that's very much been the case for you of here's what I want to speak about. I'm doing a little bit of that. Uh, okay, maybe actually I want to speak a little bit on this. Okay, now I want to do mm -hmm. this number of gigs. And uh, maybe not, I want to do this number of gigs and fewer. Mm -hmm. I want to do more keynotes. Uh, actually, I want to do more workshops and seminars. And uh, I don't want to do as much consulting. Okay, maybe I do want to do more consulting and coaching. Mm -hmm. And you just, you don't know all of that when you're just staring at a blank piece of paper. Yep. But when you get going, then you start to figure out more of this works, this resonates, this clicks, this, you find that path that makes the most sense for you. And so it sounds like you're finding a lot more traction now that you're, you're on that path. Right. And what's really interesting about that process is nobody sees it except for you. Right. I mean, and my, and my husband who'd be like, you know, I, you're making a lot of changes or, you know, <laughs> I mean, he was very supportive, but he was kind of worried. Like, yeah. are you changing your direction again? And I said, listen, honey, this is part of the evolution, you know? Yeah. And then as he saw it unfold, he realized that nobody sees it except for me because it's not like I'm a big name, sure. right? So actually what it, it actually even built more credibility with certain audiences that I've done leadership work for. They now want to follow me and do this other stuff because they said, well, that was so great. Now I want to do this seminar. Yeah. So it actually can really work in your favor as long as you, you don't let it stop you. I want to talk about um, a transition here that you've made recently where for the longest time, again, you've been working in a, a very successful corporate type of gig. You've mm -hmm. made good money from that. But then you're like, okay, over time, my other, this other part of my business, speaking, consulting, coach, all of that's starting to bubble up. It's taking more and more time. I'm making more money from it. And so there, mm -hmm. you reach a crossroads of like, I want to go all in, but I still... I want to eat and live indoors. I have insurance and retirement and all these like things to think about. So can you talk us through what the, the transition that you've made in the past few months and how that's turned out? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, financially, obviously it, it can come down to numbers, right? So we, I, my husband and I knew that, you know, I needed to make X to do Y. And so as we were working towards that, one thing that I really felt was that like you'd mentioned, you can only give so much to your growing business if you're giving to your other, you know, your other mm -hmm. job. And so I really hit that point where the other job was literally just sucking the blood out of me. And I was not wanting to wake up on Mondays. I was having a hard time sleeping at night. And this other thing filled me up so much. I felt like I could do it all day yeah. and all weekend. And of course I didn't want to do that because I want to spend time with my family. So I had to make a decision and honestly, a little bit um, go on blind faith a little bit that I believe in myself. I had enough traction that if I had this much mind share and X number of hours to spend on my actual career that I'm growing, that I love yeah. and that I'm passionate about, how much more could I do? And when I kind of, you know, laid that scenario out and really looked at it, I realized how much I was actually holding myself back. I actually wasn't going after certain things. And I didn't even realize that I was almost self-sabotaging in a certain way because I knew that I needed to kind of contain how much time I spent on the side job because of my career and my, sure. my family. Yeah. So that transition has been, I will say you need to walk before you run and you need to sort of lay out pragmatically like what you need to do. One thing I will say 
if anyone's contemplating it out there in this world of entrepreneurs and it's growing faster than ever, almost everybody has a consulting skill that they can sell. And so I would highly advise if you're in a situation where you're feeling like, oh, I want to grow this or I want to get out, I can bet money on right now. I'd bet money with you that you have a consulting skill that you can sell. And so whether that means that you go to people that you know and say, listen, I'm starting up my own business. You can put 10 hours a week to do that consulting or whatever it is, just to basically make what you feel like you need to make to cover that bridge. Because sometimes it's not as easy for people just to quit their job because they don't have the money in the bank, right, to just move. So sometimes it needs to be a little bit of a transition strategy. And, you know, clients that I've worked with and people I've talked to have really relied on the consulting ecosystem that's growing to help them through that. Yeah. And so as of today, you've, you've left the corporate gig. You're all in on your thing now, right? Yep. A hundred percent in. Yep. So I think that that, well, first, like that's to be congratulated. Like that's a huge deal, Mm -hmm. right? That's a really, really huge deal. But I think the other thing too, is that it's not like you decided on Friday, I'm going to be a speaker and a consultant and a coach. And then on Monday, I'm going to quit my job. Like you've talked through, like for the past year and a half or so, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of effort, Mm -hmm. a lot of iterations, a lot of transitions, Mm -hmm. a lot of long hours. But at some point, like you have to decide like, got some traction. I've got some things going. I've got some momentum. Like I've done the math. I've done the spreadsheets. We've figured it out with the spouse and now we're ready to make the transition and just pulling the Mm -hmm. trigger and doing Mm -hmm. it. Right. So is there anything that you would do differently or anybody who, or anything that you would advise to someone who may be in a similar spot of like, I'm right there and I've got a lot of speaking going. And, but at the same time, like it's, I'm scared to leave this known for the unknown. What would you say to them? Mm I would say to trust your, your gut, trust your heart. You know, if you're a person of faith, trust your faith Mm -hmm. and rely on that and really just follow your heart. I truly believe that um, we each have a purpose here on earth and we usually are called and we have these yearnings to do things that we're meant to do. And if you're not listening to it, it's not going to go away. It just gets stronger and stronger. And so I would really just tell them to just be pragmatic about it. Just like you said, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. This has been what a 16 month journey for me. And it seems like a flash in the pan now during it, it didn't. And, you know, if I would do anything different, it's, that's an interesting question because I don't know that I'd be exactly where I am today, which I feel like is in the perfect spot if I hadn't gone through all those iterations. Totally. So I'm very grateful for that journey. It's like Joseph Campbell, you know, yeah. it's who you become in the journey. It's not necessarily what happens in the end. And, you know, if I, there's one thing I wish I, I guess if I was to say, I wish I would have done, I wish I would have really listened to who I am and what I'm about and felt really confident and strong in that. And from the very beginning, however, again, I may not be where I am today if I hadn't gone through that and realized the importance of learning that. So if you're going to look back to Kendra 16 months ago, uh, and for some Mm -hmm. of us listening, going like, all right, I like speaking. I just wrote a book. I'm fired up and I want to do more speaking. And I just don't know quite what to do next. I don't even know if I have what it takes. Because sometimes like even if we gave you the plan, but you don't believe you can actually follow it or do it, it's hard to like actually execute on it or take any action with it. So what would you say to that person who's where you were 16 months ago? I would say do some soul searching. And if you feel that it's, you know, something you're interested in. I am a big advocate of getting mentors and coaches. They, I mean, I have several right now and they absolutely push me, guide me, move me in a direction where I 
can really live into the possibility versus living in this restricted life that I feel like is a container where it's always just been whatever I know and what's been told to me. And so I think that if you can find someone that's, whether it's a friend or whether you go hire somebody, I am a big advocate of getting that level of support um, or joining a mastermind of some kind, just people that are going to pull you through because it's really important for you to go through that whole process of self-discovery because the more that you expand personally, the more that you can expand to help others do the same. And that's what you are doing when you're speaking, right? You're wanting to help other people see things and grow. Yeah. Very well said. Kendra, thanks for the time. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? KendraDahlstrom.com. That's the place to be. We will be sure and link up that in the show notes. So Kendra, we really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's such an honor to be here, Grant. It's great to connect with you again. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kendra Dahlstrom. Again, she's just a normal gal who's just figuring it out and you have the ability to do the same. So one of the things that she's done is she's really taken action on a lot of the stuff that uh, that we've taught inside Booked and Paid to Speak, inside of our elite program. And so if you want more information on that, definitely reach out, let us know. We'd love to serve and support you however we can. Now, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, if you haven't checked out our free speaker calculator, make sure you stop by myspeakerfee.com, myspeakerfee.com. Check that out, answer a couple questions, and I'll tell you what you should be charging as a speaker. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.